You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. This week we get to Exodus chapter 3. Um, no fancy intro video or nothing because Exodus chapter 3 doesn't need a whole lot of introduction. This is one of these stories in the scriptures that most people have somehow heard before. Last week in Exodus 2, we saw Moses having this internal conflict of, I am a Hebrew and an Israelite, but I've grown up an Egyptian. Moses sees an Egyptian abusing an Israelite and winds up murdering him, burying him, fleeing from Egypt, winds up in the desert. And this is the Cliff Notes version. Um, Saves some young ladies from some crazy shepherds, gets invited home for lunch, gets a wife, and then has a son. And in the midst of all of this, we are told that God is hearing, seeing, and that God knows the plight and the suffering of his people. And then we find ourselves in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Take a look with me. It begins with the word, now. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Now. It's really interesting. It's really crazy what all can be shoved into, encapsulated into one word, now. Now, 40 years later. Now, after spending half of a lifetime shepherding sheep. Now, it's just all kind of there in this one little word. All this time has passed. Now, Moses is out watching his father-in-law's sheep. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. What Moses is saying here is, I don't know what's going on over there, but I got to go check this out. What's happening with this bush? When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, when God saw that Moses was paying attention, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. This is not here I am like if you were playing hide and seek with your kid and they thought, oh, mom doesn't see me and she jumps out. Here I am. Surprise, gotcha. This is here I am like Samuel saying in the middle of the night to God, here I am, God, I'm listening. This is like Isaiah before the throne of God saying, Lord, here I am, send me. Moses is saying, here I am, you have my attention at your service. Here I am. Then God said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. Moses didn't go to this place, take his sheep up there because it was this place known to the locals as the mountain of God. 
It's not the way this worked. Moses is writing all of this way after the fact, okay? Moses was led there and discovers the presence of God. This is what made this Horeb, the word in Hebrew, this is what made Horeb significant. The power and the presence of the Lord are there. Now, a thought, and we have to always read this from Moses' side of history. We have to look at it from there, but we have to apply this from our side of history. Just a thought for you. If you came to the mountain of God today, you were out walking, you came to the mountain of God, would you not expect the presence of God? Just a thought. Wouldn't you expect God to speak, to show his power, to reveal himself? Example from the New Testament, Peter, James, and John, think about this. They did not go up the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus, did they? They went up a hill. The reason it's the Mount of Transfiguration is because when they went up it with Jesus, he pulled back just enough of the veil that they saw the glory of God and they saw who he was. Then they came back down and from then on, that was the Mount of Transfiguration. Moses goes, discovers the presence of the Lord there. This is now Horeb, okay? It became known as these things because God's presence was revealed to them there. Who cares? What's the point? Well, as a child of God today, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there will be moments in your life and in mine where the Lord reveals himself. These things happen. They have to happen in our life as a child of God We come here this morning to what we call a worship gathering. We gather twice like this on Sundays. We come to this place to worship. We are the people of God. You, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, are a child of God. We call this place, like David in the Psalms, we call this the house of God, not because of where it is, definitely not because of what it is, but because of who we are and who is present here with us. So follow along here with me. If we have come here today as the people of God, in the house of God, to worship God, should we not expect the powerful presence of God? What did you come expecting today? I was hoping for donuts. I mean, the coffee is smashing. What do we come here expecting? Moses referred to this place as Horeb because God's living, burning presence was there. The apostle Paul tells you and tells me that we are now a temple of the Holy Spirit. May we come to this place where we expect the presence and the power of God. So back here to Moses. He arrives at this thing that we've come to know as the burning bush. So much so that probably in your Bible, like mine, the title of Exodus 3 is what? The burning bush. Is it unusual to see something catch on fire and then burned up? 
No, it is not. That's what fire does. However, would it be crazy upon crazy to see something on fire and somehow not being consumed? Absolutely it would. The very definition of burn, do you know what it is? To be consumed by fire. That's what fire does. It consumes, it envelops. You know what else fire does? It mesmerizes. I don't know if any of you have a fire pit. We have one in our backyard and I can light a fire. I don't need to have a reason just to sit and stare at it. It's, it's amazing when you watch it. I don't know if that's a guy thing. I think that it is. But you can be completely mesmerized by fire and at the same time repelled by it because there is an innate fear in us that tells us we know what it can do. Moses was captivated, proving that he was 100% a man. I got to go over here and check this out, man, this fire. What's going on here? And when the Lord saw that he had Moses' attention, that's when he spoke. Now, Again, we call this the burning bush, and I'm not here today to start a petition or submit a protest to you or anything. But again, it wasn't actually being burned. It was not being consumed. It was, however, talking. You're going to see in a couple minutes that the bush was actually listening. So I would like to submit to you today that I think the talking bush would be a bit more awesome than the burning bush. I've seen things burned before, bushes, trees, lots of things. I have not, however, seen a talking bush. That's just my take on this. This is the first time in Exodus that God speaks. And if you've been with us up to this point, hopefully you've noticed that something keeps getting brought up. It's the sovereignty of God. And the first time that God speaks here in Exodus, he reinforces his sovereignty. Look at verse seven. Then the Lord said to Moses, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites and Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, but I will be with you and this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. So again, the first thing, first time we hear God speak in the book of Exodus, he reinforces his sovereignty. Look back at verses seven and eight and and see what God says here. He says, I have seen. I have heard, I know, and now I have come down to deliver them. God wants Moses and us for that matter to know that he is before all things. He is over and above all things. He is behind all things. He is at work 
in all things. And then the Lord explains, in my sovereignty and through my power, I'm going to save and deliver. I'm going to save them from, in order to save them to, okay? I'm going to save them from, in order to save them to. I'm going to bring them out of that land and bring them into a good and broad land. I will bring you out of slavery and suffering and into prosperity. Um, I will bring you out that I might send you out. The Lord doesn't just save and then consequently come up with the idea, well, I got you here. Now I'm gonna figure out something to do with you. Tell you what, I'll send you on. That's not the way that it works. God saves us with the purpose of sending. God always saves with the purpose of sending. And that's what he's doing with Moses. That's what he's about to do with his people. Now, God preemptively answers some questions for Moses here as he speaks to Moses out of this bush. If a bush starts talking to you, you're probably going to want to know who it is that's talking. Who am I? Well, God tells him, I'm the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I am the God of all creation. Why am I here? I have heard the cry of my people and I'm going to deliver and save them. How am I going to do it? Moses, I'm glad you were thinking this one because you're going to love this answer. (laughs) I'm going to send you. And here's when the brakes slam on. I'm going to send you. At first, what we kind of sense and we feel and we hear here with Moses is like, this is the posture of a humble servant. Um, Because, you know, the bush says his name. I'm here at your service. Moses realizes I'm on holy ground. He takes off his chacos. He realizes I'm in the presence of God. He gets on his face. This is absolute humility, right? Well, What happens here is we sense this humility until Moses, uh, God tells him what he wants him to do. And this raises a couple of questions from Moses. Yes, God preemptively answered some questions, but now Moses has a couple of other questions. His first question is, who am I? Who am I? And see, this is where Moses goes from Uh, listening to a bush that's on fire to talking back to a bush that's on fire. Who am I, God, to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead your people out of slavery? Who am I, Lord? And this is where the appearance of humility is taking place. But here's the thing. Moses wasn't questioning his own identity. What Moses was doing here was he was doubting his authority. Not like, woe is me, you know, who am I? Just Mr. Lowly Shepherd out here on the, on the hill. That's not what this had anything to do with. This was not an identity crisis. This was about Moses doubting his authority. And this is where Moses exposes the major flaw in his thinking, which God very, very quickly corrects when he explains to Moses, oh, hey, this isn't about who you are. It's about who I am. 
It's about who I am. Look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Then God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Moses, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. I will bring you up out of your slavery, up out of your suffering, and I will bring you to a place of prosperity where you will never know need again. And they will listen to your voice and you and the elders of Israel will go to the king of Egypt and say to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go. Let us go, Pharaoh. Here's what God says to Moses. My name is all the authority that you need. That's it. My presence is, is all the power that you need. You go and you tell the king of Egypt, the Lord has met with us. Moses, the God who saves is also the God who sends. Friends, in Matthew 28, we have what we call the great commission. Jesus, um, after his death, his resurrection, right before his ascension back to the father, We have the great commission, but I want to submit to you that it was the second one. And in Exodus chapter three, we have the first one. Because what we see God saying to Moses here was without question to point us to what Jesus would say later on. Notice the similarities with me. Turn to Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew 28, look at verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, where? To the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now I'm giving it to you, therefore go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Moses came to the mountain, discovered the presence of the Lord. So did the disciples. Moses fell on his face and worshiped. So did the disciples. Some of them still doubted. There was a lot of doubt going on 
with Moses. But God says to Moses, it's not about you. It's not about who you are. It's not about your name. It's about me. All authority, God says to Moses, and Jesus says to the disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and now I am giving it to you. Jesus is saying in the culmination of history on the mountain that day, I saved you and now you understand why. I saved you in order to send you. Therefore, go. And when you go, don't you dare forget, I will be with you always. Moses wants to know, who am I, Lord? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I that I should lead your people? And God says, it's not about you. It's about me. You and I possibly have that same question every once in a while. Who am I, Lord? And so now Moses comes up with his second question, which God is pretty much already answered, but Moses has to ask again. Okay, so yeah, I guess I maybe understand who I am, Lord. Question two, who are you? So like, let's just say um, I like agree with this whole thing you're, you're throwing out here to me and, and I choose to go forward with it um, and, and I go to the people of Israel um, here's a question that might come up. Like, what's your name? If they ask me, okay, well, yeah, who is this God that you're talking about? Who sent you? I mean, what should I tell them? And God says, you tell them, I am sent you. I am? I am what? I am. I'm the God of your father. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of Joseph. I am all-knowing. I am eternal. Think up something, Moses. I am. I have always been and I will always be. I am listening to my people. I am watching my people. I am. You tell them that I am sent you. And then you go Pharaoh and you tell him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews has sent me and he has a request. Let his people go. Get on along, Moses. Now, I love that God here gives Moses more than he even asked for. Here's what I mean. God is saying, okay, we've addressed these issues. Um, first, the one that's quite irrelevant, who you are. And uh, hopefully now you're clear on who I am. But here's the most important thing for you to know in all of this. I will be with you. Oh, and by the way, I'll even give you a sign. I'll give you a sign. Look at verse 12. God said, Moses, I will be with you. And this will be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will serve God on this mountain. I think that you are aware that most signs come now. 
If I say to you, I'm going to give you a sign. That means I'm going to give it to you now. What are signs for? Signs like arrive, they show up in the present to inform us or assure us or tell us about something in the future. I get it now to tell me about something that's coming. That's not always the case with the Lord, at least not here. And I would say that it's not the case always with us either. The reality is, is that sometimes we don't get the sign of God's faithfulness until we step out in faith. And that's what he's saying to Moses right here. Moses, who you believe I am is going to determine who you believe you are. And that's going to determine whether or not you step off of this mountain in obedience or you run back home in fear. But hey, you know what? I'm telling you right here and now, you're going to go and you're going to confront Pharaoh. You're going to lead my people out of Egypt. And one day, very, very soon, when you stand on this mountain again, you will worship me. You will serve me. You will look back and you will know I am the Lord, your God. And there is no other. Here's your sign. Sometimes we have to step out in faith and then we're able to look back and see how magnificently, supernaturally, powerfully God ordained our steps. Friends, who we believe Jesus Christ is will determine who we believe ourselves to be. Because see, if Jesus Christ is not the everlasting son of God, if Jesus Christ is not the risen Lord, we are not the adopted children of God. But he is. And when we trust in him, we are. Who we believe Jesus is will determine who we believe we are. What we believe Jesus has already accomplished on our behalf and in our lives is going to determine what we believe that God can and will accomplish through our lives. Now, a little side note here. I don't mean to be Debbie Downer. Um, I don't want to rag on Moses either, but I think that this is important to, to point out and to be aware of in our lives and in our walk. We need to be careful not to pretend that an absence of faith is the presence of humility. See, there are times when what I want to say is like, oh, well, you know, that's just not, I don't have the power to do that or it's not me or, or uh, you know, Lord, who am I that I should go? And, and I want it to just look like, oh, he's so humble. When in reality, he's so fearful. Because what's happening is I'm more focused on my identity Um, my authority, which is none, rather than the identity and the authority of the one who sent me. Don't mistake the presence of fear, um, the absence of faith as the presence of humility. Lord, 
who am I that I should speak the gospel to my neighbor? Lord, who, who am I? Like, I, I, I don't have the words to, to share the good news with my coworker or my family member. What, I don't know how I'm supposed to do that. I'm not gifted in that area. That's not my strength. And here's the thing. God has been saying from the very, very beginning, it's not about your strengths. It's not about your gifts. It's not about those things. It's not about your power. It's not about your abilities. I am has saved you and I am has sent you. Friends, you and I have to remember that Jesus said, uh, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. I'm giving it to you. Therefore, go. Remember this. We go in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ. There is no authority whatsoever in the name of Brian, the name of Matt, the name of Gary. Our names, thanks mom and dad, we appreciate it. They don't mean anything. The name of Jesus, one day, every knee in heaven and on earth will bow. We go in the authority of the name of Jesus. We walk, we live in the strength of his power, not our own. But see, those things don't happen until we learn to rest in the certainty of his presence. Are you doing that? On Tuesday, will you be resting in the certainty of the presence of God? The God who said to Moses, hey Moses, I know you're scared. That Pharaoh guy is creepy and weird. I will be with you. Jesus said to his disciples, go, I will be with you. You and I, have the certainty of the presence of the creator of the universe. God spent 40 years preparing Moses. As your church, we want to prepare you. The Lord is about to give Moses, we're gonna see this next week. He's about to give Moses the next steps. All right, Moses. I've told you what I want you to do. Now I'm going to tell you how to do it. Um, I want to close this morning by giving you some next steps. Because every one of us in the room today, uh, in our walk with the Lord, the question should be, okay, Lord, I want to be faithful right here. But Lord, where are you leading me? What's next, Lord? Some of you, I, I don't know where everybody is in their walk with the Lord, but maybe you're here today and you would say, I haven't been a believer that long. Um, I, don't, I don't know how really to even read the Bible or study the Bible. I have great news for you. Right now on Thursday mornings, ladies, my wife is leading a Bible study. I think it's called how to study the Bible. It's great. Uh, Lots of ladies already there, come join. On Thursday nights, maybe you would say, you know, I've been reading my Bible, but I'm I'm having trouble understanding it. And I don't know that I understand all of this doctrine and, and theology and so on. Well, on Thursday evenings, 
Chad is leading a class uh, on systematic theology, understanding how we read the Bible comprehensively and begin to understand the Lord. Chase, one of our elders, is leading a study for men on Wednesday mornings. There's opportunities out there to take the next step. And see, all of those are not only opportunities to come together with other believers, other people within your church family and dig into the scriptures, but to make connections and genuine fellowship with other believers as well. Ladies, in a couple of weekends, the if gathering is coming up. I will tell you this, um, and now granted, I'm, I'm just speaking on observation because I'm not allowed to go. Uh, I'm a guy. But ladies, the if gathering is an opportunity not only for you to dive very deep spiritually uh, and be challenged in the word, but it is a great opportunity for you to make an intimate connection with other ladies in the body of Christ, sisters in Christ to begin to walk with. Hopefully you have seen that we're having these things coming up here on Friday nights called fight nights. Men, I want to make sure that you understand we are not watching pay-per-view MMA fights, okay? Why are we doing fight night? Well, because we realize and believe that you're doing one of two things. You are either fighting for your marriage or you're fighting against it. There's no like just hanging out on the middle of the fence. You may think there is, but there's not. Last year we did fight night. It was great. Why are we doing more than one? Well, because we know that if we just do one, not everybody will be able to be here. Uh, We've dropped the cost down drastically because we want you to be able to come to one, two, all of them for that matter, if you can. But if you have any interest whatsoever in strengthening your marriage, maybe that is your next step. Right now, what you're doing this morning When we come here together, whether I'm up here or Chad's up here or Chip's up here, this morning is what we call passive learning. And there is without a question um, a place for it in our lives that we hear and we absorb, we retain, we figure out what do I do with this. But really the last 30 minutes, one person's been talking. Well, maybe there's been a few others and, and everybody else has hopefully been listening. But see, you and I, all of us, we need active learning. And right now, this is something that we are trying to execute in our missional communities. Um, We sat in our missional community about a month or two ago and said, you know what we're going to do tonight? We're going to share the gospel with one another. Why? Because if I can't share the gospel with my brothers and sisters in Christ in my own living room, I'm probably not going to go out and share it with my unbelieving coworker or my neighbor. We need active learning as well. If you are looking for that, I would highly encourage you to take the next step of seeking out, becoming involved in one of our missional communities. The perspectives class that went on here at the Brook last semester on Mondays, it is now, it just started again. It's going on on Tuesday nights in Huntsville and it's going on on Wednesdays at lunch. Maybe you have your lunch break and could invest the time in that class. Friends, I will tell you that if you have any desire whatsoever for God to blow your mind and expand your worldview of what it looks like to live on mission, take the perspectives class.
in a few weeks on Sunday after our 1045 service, Sue Ann McCoy, our missions minister, is going to be hosting a lunch previewing all of our mission trips coming up this year. And maybe you've seen the list. Maybe you've begun looking at them. And we've actually, I know, had at least a few people who have asked the question, why aren't the prices listed? Are you guys trying to pull something over on us? No, this is very intentional. Do you know what the number one overwhelming reason why 85% of people who don't go on mission trips don't go? The money. And you know what? If you don't go because of the money, it's not because the money isn't there. It's because you're too prideful to understand that the money is there and God's sending you and that's your excuse. Because see, we have people within our church body that they cannot physically go on a mission trip anymore. Their doctor would whip them. Uh, They can't even get on a plane anymore, but they have their retirement and they say, I want to pay for somebody to go. And God at the same time is whispering to you, I need you to go. And you're going, I don't have the money, Lord. And God says, remember that whole, I own the cattle on a thousand hills thing. Well, I'm telling Betty and she already gave. You need to ask the Lord, what do you want me to do, Lord? I dare you to go Isaiah. Here I am, Lord, send me. Anybody brave enough to be Isaiah? I did not want to go to India. That's the first time that has ever come out of my mouth. (laughs) I did not want to go. But I knew, first of all, that Sue Ann would never leave me alone if I didn't go. But I will tell you this, Sue Ann wasn't bothering me nearly as much as the Holy Spirit was. Brian, you're talking it, but you're not walking it. Guess what the first excuse out of my mouth was? That's like 3,700 something dollars. I don't have like $37. I started saving to go on that trip. You know how much of my own money I spent? $100 because the rest of that money came pouring in from people who said, I want to go. I want to send you. I want to make sure that you go. And you know what? That story happens with every single person that steps forward and says, I'm called to go. I don't know where I'm going to get the money. We do, the Lord. Every one of us in this room this morning, as a follower of Christ, as a, a part of this church body, there's a next step. Moses is about to receive his. What's the next step for you? Here's what I'm going to leave you with this morning. The Lord said, now that I know he's listening, now that I know he's paying attention, I'm going to speak. Are you listening? Will you ask him? Lord, what do you want me to do? I dare you. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, 
We pray this morning that you would stir our hearts, that you would place in us a burning desire, a hunger, a thirst to follow you. Father, for some of us, it it might even be you walking us to a point that we would even feel reckless. God, that we would have such a faith Lord, we know that you've already given us the calling, you've given us the mandate, you've given us the instructions to go and make disciples. And Lord, um, whatever that means for us, we know that you are calling us to walk alongside someone else that we would have the faith to say, I love the Lord and I've given my life to him and I'm following him and I fail miserably sometimes. I don't always get this right, but his grace covers me. And I want you to walk alongside me and I want you to watch what it, means to follow Jesus. Lord, our desire is that we would not waste a day, an hour, a moment that we can live for your kingdom. Father, that our lives would be intentional, that our lives would be interruptible in just a moment we're going to sing to the Lord together we have the opportunity to take communion today I want to encourage you, um, whether you come alone or with a friend, with your family, that as you take that bread and that cup, that you remember Jesus Christ, his life was not taken from him. He willingly laid it down. His body was broken for you. His blood was shed to atone for your sin and mine. And we take that bread and that cup and we remember that that sacrifice is where we find salvation. We thank you, Lord Jesus. If you need to come to the cross or the steps and make that an altar, we invite you to come. 
If you're here this morning and you need someone to pray with you or to share with you what it means to put your faith and trust in Christ, some of our pastors, our elders, our leaders will be in the back at the tables. Lord, be glorified in this place, in these moments through our lives. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.